All right, guys, and welcome back. This is episode two of Base Cafe with Holly and Dean. I'm Dean. I'm Holly. Thanks, guys, for watching. Make sure you like and subscribe below. This is our second episode, and we've had so much fun doing the first one. So today we're going to talk about some really cool stuff. So we hope that you stick around for all of it. And we have a really cool interview later on. Do you want to tell them about our interview, though? Uh, yeah, I got a chance to meet up with Tommy Victor, guitarist of uh, Danzig and Prong. And he has a unique approach to guitar because he played bass first and then he moved to guitar opposite of me who played guitar first and then gravitated over towards bass. Um, so it was a good opposite opinion and we really feel the same about a lot of things. I can't wait to uh, show that to everyone. So today we're going to be talking about why the bass is cooler to play now and what makes the bass stand out and why it's kind of hard to understand low frequencies when you're first starting to um, listen to bands and listen to the bass. Right, yeah, mixing is a really important part of a band's overall sound because everybody always goes in the studio thinking, oh, you know, I'm just going to set up my settings the way I do at my local dive bar you know, cranked all the way up with a bunch of drunk people, I think that's going to sound really good. When in all reality, everything has to find its own pocket on a recording. Um, and technology yeah. has really changed with that. And we get to hear and experience those non-overwhelming frequencies now where we get these full tones from bass, where, mm -hmm. you know, we get to hear frequencies in our music now that the engineers at the time of the Beatles didn't have access to isolate to bring up without bringing up other conflicting frequencies, you know? Um, right. So it's, it's pretty cool. I like the way technology has gone for that. It really helps us as bass players. Yeah, absolutely. It helps, it helps us to be able to be heard. Um, I think when I was first starting and I, I know I talked to a lot of people that kind of feel the same way when they first start listening for the bass, they just can't, they can't really, differentiate between some of the lower frequencies from the kick drum versus some of the lower frequencies from the guitar. Um, and so, you know, the, ba the bass is really just about the feeling of the music. And I don't think a lot of people understand that. So, um, yeah, and you can totally see a, a graduation of bass fronted bands becoming more popular as technology has increased like that's got to be the number one key piece of evidence is you know the the bass wasn't famous during classical times you know yeah. there wasn't a bass there wasn't always bass driven there was a couple of bass driven pieces mm -hmm. but we have entire bands that are focused around just the bass player yeah my band uh my original band i play bass and sing and um, I got that from watching Doug Pinnock from King's X, who's one of my favorite bassists, and just thought he was just so cool. So <laughs> I, I also wanted to kind of try to play bass and sing at the same time, which is not very easy to do. It takes a lot of practice. Doing two of anything is not yeah. easy to do. I, I tell all my students that, you know, if you're going to sing and play an instrument, one of those two has to be on autopilot if you're a singer then sing on autopilot and learn how to play guitar or bass or whatever mm -hmm. if you're a guitar player you have to know that's in and out in and out you have to know that be able to play that song without even looking at it then you'll be able to sing yeah. like 
and be able to do what you want and get in your flow. You can't, you can't be thinking about both at once. It's mm -hmm. no. Yeah. My first record, I, I, well, my, my original first record, I wrote the songs kind of like that because I wasn't so experienced singing and playing at the same time. So I wanted the songs, the riffs to be really cool, but kind of simple in parts so that I was able to articulate my words and actually sing and, and, and focus on what I needed to be at, at the right time. So um, definitely. I'd like to take a little sidebar here and tell you that that's one of the things that people underestimate uh, and underestimate Nirvana for mm -hmm. where Kurt Cobain, he would play simplistic riffs, mm -hmm. but the notes in which he sang mm -hmm. were the other intervals of the keys. So when you think you're just listening to some grunge song, what you're really listening to is sometimes like a Phrygian song with something very yeah. Spanish sounding, very exotic sounding, but yet it comes from these guys from Seattle. And mm -hmm. because he's singing those notes instead of playing those notes, you don't realize, but that's why you're attracted to it. Right. Mm -hmm. And it's, and it's, and it's because he, you know, did one simple and then accented with the other. Yeah. Yeah. That's awesome. Yeah, I think uh, and he he did a lot of really cool um, just riff guitar riffs in general as he was, you know, singing like Heart Shaped Box, for instance. I mean, that's kind of hard to do. A lot of those vocal melodies are just the guitar lick. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, um, the s guitar solo of Smells Like Teen Spirit is just the vocal melody <laughs> played out, you know, from the Phrygian position, if I'm not mistaken. Mm -hmm yeah yeah and like the phrygian position over a minor progression uh i think it may be a locry uh <laughs> no it's a minor progression yeah and so like and yeah it's just that amount of uh space that we've been able to create nowadays with technology you know you weren't able to do all the same things the same way back then you know? yeah we talked about that um on the first episode you know the stand-up versus the electric it's they went to electric to get that sound out and to get those um you know those notes to be pronounced better and without feedback yeah without feedback and stuff and so well i mean when you go from from nothing that something that doesn't have pickups on it to something that does then you can you can get louder and you can get more precise and things like right that. and adding the frets to it changes the tone Absolutely. It, those that higher range that now we can bring up and get audible recognition from mm -hmm. when we yeah. don't have our subwoofers you know yeah. strapped to ourselves yeah so um i was watching uh, a youtube video a few months ago when we were brainstorming about this episode and talking about like how the base basically what what our brains um how our brains uh react towards bass and why we like bass so much and there's right. this youtube channel called the verge and in 2015 they put out um, this video basically talks about why we love bass and music so much and they link it to cognitive science that basically um in the womb when we are first you know uh made and <laughs> our life is 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 evolve you know is uh evolving and we're coming to be uh, a little baby 
we are in the womb and when we develop our our sense of audible we start listening to the mother's heartbeat and we start listening to the swishing of of the uh the the water and, and the liquid that's inside and of the mother's womb and we and then everything is muffled uh her her voice and everyone around it is all muffled so we're already linked at the beginning of our life to low frequency and even throughout i get i get very very crazy on this particular subject of frequencies because um even the hum of the earth Mm -hmm. as it travels through space and it transcends into our feet and that vibration Mm -hmm. and when a car goes by and we don't necessarily hear it or a truck or a train and we feel it Mm -hmm. that's a different form of haptic feedback yeah right it's when we have low frequencies it doesn't just go to our ear mm-hmm. it goes to our whole body and we're able yeah. to perceive it Cat throughout heart. yeah throughout all extremities yeah you know you can't always hear a guitar solo with your hands but you can always hear the bass solo with your hands for sure yeah yeah um like when cats purr they're actually emitting a, a healing frequency um, I get, yeah, I get very crazy on this subject. This would be a 17 hour video if I was allowed <laughs> to talk about frequencies. Right? Yeah, this, this video basically says that it changes our adrenaline and our heart rate. Uh, right. And that's why we're, we're able to identify with it so, so much. And, you know, the baseline is, the, is, is the structure of the, that the melody hangs upon, right? So if we're listening to a drum beat and we're trying to listen to, um, the, you know, the baseline, it's it's actually moving us, and we don't even realize it. It's moving our our um, just cognitively. We're 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 in the middle of it. We can and, scientifically say that just the low frequencies, because of how powerful they are and how much we amplify them, right? Yeah. That's why they're so powerful because we amplify them at shows and stuff. Um, Anybody who's ever been on YouTube and seen any of those videos about the vibrating plates with the sand, like, or, or oh, salt rather, yeah. vibrating plates with the salt, and they change the frequency on the frequency generator and it makes all these different shapes. Yeah. If you take into account just the fact that we have salt in our bloodstream, yeah. that you have to realize that it's going to dance like jumping beans inside of us in reaction to oh, certain frequencies yeah water as well you know the, yeah yeah we're all as the, fluid as the earth moves the water is moving and we're made of water it's, it's all connected there so yeah so since we're babies we are connected to this but in that weird though how the for a long time we haven't really connected with it until as of recent years though we haven't really connected with base I think in different forms, right? Like yeah. a lot of those guttural tribal singers, mm-hmm. right? They really get down. <laughs> yeah. You know, like they really they're they're focusing on that same particular energy, I think. Right. Yeah, and there's there's very many biblical stories about uh the Jewish tribes uh chanting and singing in the sands and the sands in the deserts changing around them and changing okay. shapes. I guarantee you it comes down to if you were to amplify that enough. I just thought of something really weird, and I'm sure somebody somewhere is going to think it's weird. But you know, like crop circles, right? Mm Mm-hmm. Do you think 
<laughs> if you believe in aliens, which I, I have a song about aliens, so I definitely don't think that we're alone. But if you think of maybe crop circles and there's, you know, how maybe that's like the aliens coming down and they're doing this type of like vibration. Maybe we don't even we only feel it. We don't even hear it. Maybe we, we think it's an earthquake or something. And it's like this and it makes this thing. Hmm. It's it would be frequency manipulation. And there are very many examples of rocks that are um, in circular formations and different formations around the globe. Yeah. Notice I said the globe. The globe. But um, <laughs> but they think that just the way that the earth resonates that certain stuff, not crop circles, but certain things yeah. such as rocks and everything would align. But I mean, everything is sound. We're held together by frequencies. Yeah. The atoms that hold us together, that hold the things together, that hold us together, that hold those things together, it's all comes down to just the way it vibrates. Yeah, actually, I was just reading, um, there's a book called The Practice of Practice, which I'll be um, talking about it in my next podcast uh, on my channel. Um, and it, if you can think of a millimeter, right? millimeter think of it as a square like a millimeter inside of that would be i think 94 trillion synapses right just inside of that and your brain is full of them completely full of them your brain's made of fat and it's made of uh, electricity basically <laughs> and so well it's made of fat and uh and uh you know nerves and electricity so uh, you got to feed it good fat for it to work properly. You got to have a healthy diet and you have to um, continuously just work on remembering things. And so with that, like our ears, they perceive all those, the high frequencies, right? And those really fast ones, but the rest of our body, it perceives for. the low frequencies. It's a low frequency, you know, uh, microphone, so to speak. Yeah. You yeah, know? So I guess when you're, when you're watching a band and you're not, real privy to low frequencies, you're seeing the guitar parts happen, but you're hearing that and you're not really connecting with what you feel that bass and you get those bass. hips shaking. But then you yeah, then you feel the bass. Yeah. You get that wiggle. You get that jiggle wiggle. Yeah, I always tell people it's the the feeling of the music. It's here. You know, it's what hits you right there. Yeah. It's center mass of all that fluid. You know? Yeah, and the baseline, you know, it directs our interpretation of the beat. It so. moves slower. It'll go. That goes down to the same subject that I will always say until my dying day, that you know, everyone gets faster and faster as time goes on. Mm -hmm. These everybody is faster than the next guy. Can do more notes per second than the next guy, and that stuff's great. The reason why most people the reason why prog rock isn't popular is because people can't really perceive when things move like that fast and the oh, slower yeah. and the slower it moves the more we have time to process what's going on and again with bass that frequency is moving slower oh, yeah. we have time to feel the <laughs> sound you know like we have time to feel that instead of just like me you know like yeah. we we get that time to to figure out what's going on it, it creates a, a an ambiance so to mm -hmm. speak um another thing that this video this youtube video i watched was talking about was this experiment that was done 
on, I guess like a hundred people or something, usually that's what they do. <laughs> and um, they gave them two different versions of a song. One had um, lower frequency mess ups and one had higher frequency mess ups, just little ones. And people- I guarantee you they perceive the lower low frequencies. frequencies. More than the high frequencies. Yep. They noticed the dip in that low frequency. I'd like to take this minute to tell everybody that on the internet, there is this amazing album called and justice for Jason and yeah. it's Metallica's and justice for all, but with the bass tracks. And oh, I'm just... telling you, I'm telling you that, yo, that album has always made me want to slay face. <laughs> when I heard injustice for Jason yeah. for the first time, it made me want to slay face at a thousand miles an hour with my foot <laughs> slammed down to the floorboard, you know, like, yeah, Oh my God. You know, there's just, it's the, the full, uh, filling out those frequencies, mm -hmm. you know, and everybody hates on Metallica for it, but like maybe just the way technology was and the way they recorded that album, they just didn't have the means to get, achieve that type of tone, yeah. you know? Yeah. Um, but yeah, it's such a, it's a completely different album. Yeah. It's a completely different album. Yeah, it just fills the space. It fills everything up, you know? I'm telling you, it makes you ball up your fist and want to mosh, no matter what. No ma I, I don't care, you know? Um, so with that, right, with that. tons of bass players have influenced you throughout getting yeah. uh, exposed to all this, right? Yeah, and I I talk about this not on this, this uh, channel, but on my other channel um, through my Patreon and through my... Uh, my what's your other channel account. called what's your other channel called tell them uh, well i have um holly's podcast on anchor and it's kind of stuff that i would normally put on my uh my uh patreon so it's like just we have to talk about all kinds of stuff um but uh i was i, I kind of talk about my uh on the first episode i talk about my my relationship with music and how I grew up with it. And I wanted to play guitar when I was younger, but I just never, just never did it. I, I tried and I just failed, you know, and um, it was guitar that I wanted to play. And I wanted to, I think it was, I wanted to sing my poetry that I was reading and my lyrics that I was writing. And then, you know, getting into playing uh, piano and then playing guitar and stuff. But, and I played clarinet in school and all this stuff, but it wasn't until I was, much older that I actually picked up bass and started playing. But Can I, I interject and ask you a quick question on that? Sure. Did you have a hard mm -hmm. time vocalizing your poetry in verse over a song? Because poetry versus song lyrics are typically more personal, right? Mm -hmm. Song lyrics are telling a singer telling the story, and sometimes it's personal. I've yet to see a poem that wasn't the the poet's soul on a platter. You know what I mean? And I used to write a lot of poetry. And yeah. so I ask, you know, was that hard to put that emotion in release into a verse where it's out there? I didn't really ever get that far, I don't think. <laughs> well, did you ever did you ever did you ever like sing and play those songs and have anyone hear it? Okay, well, so I was nine years old when I started writing poetry. So I've written a lot of poetry. I think I was like 10 or 11 when I like got my fix. I was yeah. big into Poe. 
yeah back then and then when i was 13 i wanted to be a band and so i started writing song lyrics instead of poetry and so um it was easy to write lyrics because i've written so many po poems um lyrics come easy for me lyrics so. come easy for me too and i gravitated towards the reason why i asked this is i gravitated towards instruments uh -huh. um to express those that same art uh -huh. because i didn't want anyone to know what i was thinking okay yeah you know like i didn't want i i just suppose it you know suppose whatever you want from the, how deep dark and in, uh, dark and tormented this this melody might sound mm -hmm. you surmise your own definition but once you put it into words um you have to if you don't want anyone to know you have to speak in such a thick metaphor mm -hmm. that it almost loses its personal meaning yeah 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 and i I try to write to where I'm not always writing about personal things, you know, oh, like everything always is personal, like not always. Well, yeah, I guess it's all personal, but like, like, I don't want to write just love songs. You know, I don't want to write just about, you know, people that, you know, that kind of thing. And I want to write about like aliens and I want to write about, you know, the concept of, uh, of religion, you know, I have a song called concept and it's about you know the concept of like religion or the concept of government you know concepts of like people group, having group a big brother you and like be over you kind of thing and it's just the, that's the, what the song's about and so i i enjoy that kind of creative writing heck yeah i did write yeah. a lot of songs about love when i was like nine i i almost <laughs> I every concert. song of mine is about love or loss or in between my first album is called Life Lessons. And at the time I was in like horror punk bands. Mm -hmm. And I was like, you know, instead of writing a, a song about like vampires and Frankenstein and Wolfmen and Mothmen and zombies and all this other stuff. Like, <laughs> there's so many of them. You know what I mean? There's so many of so them. Many. And I was just like, I'm going to write a whole album of the scariest shit i've ever dealt with in my life <laughs> you know like and that's what my life lessons are it's about the real real horrors you know the real scary stuff you know lose yeah. losing your loved ones going through a divorce you know like going through real life stuff that's so much scarier than michael myers i can't even tell you <laughs> you know like um so all right so you were about what like 13 when you got All your right, bass so, yeah no when i first got my first guitar i was 13 and so um so guitarists were the people who really stood out to me and um but the bassists that stood out were the girls because they were girls playing in a band right so like darcy and shauna salt like they were the girls that stood out to me because they were both blonde and cute and i loved their music and i was a big fan and so those, that's what stuck out to me when I was a guitar player. And then when I finally got into bass, um, I was a huge King's X fan anyways. I've been a huge King's X fan since I was like 19 or 20. So Doug Pinnock is like, right. <laughs> dude, you know, <laughs> that's a man. Um, and, uh, you know, of course, John Paul Jones. Uh, when I was younger, I had all my CDs stolen out of my car. They just 
completely ripped out my CD player and all my, like 300 CDs. And I was devastated. It took me, you know, for, since I had my first CD in there, you know, <laughs> and Dude, people suck. I had my CD collection stolen too. And like kids don't understand, like back in the day, you couldn't just go to Spotify or YouTube or anything and just Google a song. Like you mm -hmm. had to, you had to but work a job. You had to work yeah. a job. You had to make that money. And then you had to go and waste that money yeah. on CDs at the record store. $20. Yeah. And they were 20, 10 to 20 bucks. A, most of the time they were 20 bucks a pop, yeah. like 17, 18, 99. And you always spend more than that. You know what I mean? You have no idea. It's like my CD collection was like super rare imports from England songs. You couldn't get, you know, yeah. like songs you couldn't, there was no way to hear those songs unless you physically owned the disc. And it kills me because all those songs are now all on YouTube. It's like, it's I know. <laughs> Everything is on YouTube. The, the hardest things to get when I was a kid is just on YouTube. You know, well, so those were all stolen from me. But I thought to myself, like, what band can I listen to over and over and over and not get tired of them? And that was uh, Led Zeppelin. So I went to the nearest pawn shop and I bought every Led Zeppelin record that they had. And I think they had pretty much almost all of them. But um, I listened to Zeppelin for hours and hours and hours and hours. And um, I mean, I I loved Plant. I loved the songs. I loved, you know, Jimmy's playing. I didn't really know a whole lot about, um, you know, uh, about John Paul Jones or Bonham. But uh, I got a friend of mine was in um, a a Zeppelin tribute band for a while. And so, and he was playing drums for them. So that's when I really got into knowing more about Zeppelin and stuff. And I can tell you like John Paul Look Jones, at you now. Yeah, I know. John Paul Jones is definitely at the top of my list as, as far as bases. And of course, you know, now I get to play Jane Paul Jones on stage. <laughs> right. But um, I'm actually reading uh, Victor Wooten's book right now, The Music Lesson. Well, I'm listening to it audibly, which is cool because it's two different voices and then there's um, music in the background. So it's kind of cool on audiobook. Um, so he's, he's interesting. He's an interesting player. He has no limits, I think. He just, he does what he feels and I really appreciate that about Victor. He, he, knows, he knows part of the crack code, man. Like... <laughs> one of the things that I try and teach all my students and uh, as time goes on, I'll expand on some of this for bass players as well. But um, I'm working on this system called music by numbers. And like, if you can, people think that, you know, playing all over the fretboard is extremely difficult and where it can be, if you remember a couple of shapes, and then each time you change a shape, you're only changing one finger placement. Like if there's like these shortcuts and man, I wish someone would have told me like I wish someone would have told me, but that like people like him, he gets it, man. Like there's a way where you can just, you know, play the major scale, but you change one note and you completely change the entire vibe of the song. Yeah, absolutely. One note. And it's just, you take one note out and you put another one in and it's place. And, it's it's great you know it's a great substitution thing and all of those notes 
create these frequencies that create these different fields yeah you know yeah someone like victor wooten doesn't just play root notes and it's because when there's a guitar part going on he's surrounding it with his ambience you know with his motions with his conflicting frequencies in the lower spectrum to magnify and force up those guitar solos and those drum fills and you know like and the the pulse of the kick drum like everything is rooted around that mm -hmm. yeah exactly it's it's really cool I've, I've watched a lot of interviews with him at nam and stuff and and trying to teach people this like you know just don't be scared don't be scared of the music it's not going to bite you it's just you know you're only half of you know you're only one fret away from the right note if you hit the wrong one so right and like and there's this thing where every single note by some definition of music i'll call it law yeah by some definition of music law every mm -hmm. single note mm -hmm. does work it does yeah it does it, like by by all the definitions it every i i don't care if it's the most ungodly note you've ever heard of there's a yeah. musical definition that says that that is the right note for the job right, right. now because of this. Right. And, if you, and you can change a bass note to change the entire chord, to change the entire feeling, just one bass note. Well, Whatever so one that of the things bass note is going to be on the bottom, it, it makes that, that, uh that chord or that sound so Think, thinking whatever. about someone like victor wooten right mm -hmm. like if a if a drummer is just hitting a kick drum boom 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 but he's moving in different intervals around the scale around that solid note he, yeah it's the bass that's creating the overall yeah. chordal description yeah. around that kick drum making that kick drum either sound happy or sad or in between yeah it the baseline directs our interpretation of the beat and i think that that's one thing that people misunderstand i think they only ever think about timing when mm -hmm. it comes to the beat but it's mm -hmm. really also like the harmony of the melody you know mm -hmm. a lot of acdc stuff the bass is not playing the root note it's playing the fourth yeah you know, and it's because it's really making it kick. It's adding in that extra note, you know, yeah. that extra frequency band. Yeah. Yeah. It's awesome. And, and so what, so what other influences do you have, uh, after Victor um, Wooten, Sean well, Salt, Darcy? Well, one person that, okay. I would never play his style. It's just not my style because I'm just not this type of player, but he stands out because everybody, if you think bass, you automatically nine times out of ten people think of this person but flea obviously <laughs> and i i put him on the list as something that stands out to me because he stands out as a bassist i think we're going to get into that later like what makes a bassist stand out and right he's not just a bass player he's a bassist I mean, he's a hell of a performer it's the way he plays it's how he plays in the song it, it, it it's his stage presence everything about him is just phenomenal i not going to emulate him because it's not my style but i sure as hell know that i was happy to see him play at least one show you know i was i was ecstatic i, I got yeah i've never i've play. never seen him play live yeah I, I finally got to see him play a couple years ago and i was just like cool finally got to at least see him play live and i just thought that was really cool 
So, um, and then Jocko, of course, but everybody likes Jocko. But you know, Jocko is just not afraid to to use his instrument to play whatever. It, you know, um, like for instance, um, uh, uh, Zappa, Frank Zappa. Okay, we were watching this uh, documentary on Frank Zappa, and Frank Zappa was just bored. He wanted he wanted to have he he was bored of just song structure. He wanted to make he wanted to be a composer, but he wanted it to be interesting to him. And so Jocko, I think, is kind of the same way. He wanted to compose this like crazy bass stuff that is kind of for musicians, you know? Right. <laughs> interesting to bassists and interesting to musicians and stuff. And if you're a, a bassist and you're talking to another bassist, typically that name comes up. And Always. He was just one of those people that also was not afraid to play what he felt. Um, and I think and push the boundaries, push the boundaries. Yeah. And become a real bassist, become a real bassist because we, and I know you talked about this with Tommy, you know, there's you're, if you're a guitar player and your bassist, there's, there's this mix that needs to happen if you're going to switch to the other side. Because we're, we're, we have to exploit the glue. Uh -huh. yet stay in our own realm you know yeah. it's like um seeing two circles overlapping mm -hmm. you know they're two different entities and then there's that section where they the combine that's yeah, combined absolutely yeah you can get a lot from either one but if you don't know how to manipulate it correctly on either end you're gonna just end up like you're gonna sound like a failed guitarist or a failed bass. yeah you need that perfect shade of gray yeah yeah so those are the kind of people that always stuck out to me, you know, and um, going, growing up, not playing bass and then switching to bass. Um, it was, I guess, a little different for me. Like I like the females before because those stood out to me as female musicians. Do you ever um, listen to Drain SDH? I don't know if I have. Oh man, I love, it was an all girl band in the nineties. Okay. And they had a song called Enter My Mind. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. And they had, in fact, I have back here, I got like this Fernandez bass. It's like the same right here. It's a, the same one that they used to use. And I just remember, dude, those chicks were so awesome. Like, I wanted to play bass <laughs> because of the bassist of that band. Like, yeah. yeah. Kitty came out around the same time. Yep. And that yep. was also really cool to see their videos because. You and I were old and are old enough to watch music videos when they were on MTV, but oh my god! <laughs> but they were you so. Wanna cool. hear, you want to like, hear the world's cutest so thing? Cool. Huh? One of the world's cutest thing. One of my students, you know her. Um, she said to me, I was on this uh, consultation with her, uh -huh. and she goes, "Have you ever heard of MTV?" Oh. And I was like, "Child." <laughs> <laughs> I'm a spawn oh, of MTV. Oh. How dare you? <laughs> you know, like, <laughs> I was like, I was like, back when I was your age, there were actually music videos. Oh my God, we're saying this now. Shit. <laughs> yeah, back, back when I was her age, it wasn't the Eminem building in Times Square. It was the MTV, MTV. building. It yeah. was TRL. It was yeah. like where Headbangers Ball was. Yeah. Like, and music videos, and it was just music videos. It was yeah, it was just music videos until the real world happened and <laughs> killed it all. <laughs> yeah. it's, it's insane.
Yep, and v VH1 pop-up video. Oh, love that stuff. Yes, all the facts. Pop-up video. Why do Why do you think they took all that down? Is it just too influencing? There's no money in it. Influence some some other way. There's no money in it. There's no money in it. There's no money in it. There's no money in music videos, right? Like, only nowadays the artist or Vivo or World Star, right? Like, it just goes to a YouTube channel and that's where it gets its ad revenue. You know, all those companies, they, if we're, if we're really, I study disruptive business behavior mm -hmm. and uh, I, I will talk about this a million times on this podcast, but Charlene Lee, the disruption mindset is one of my favorite books on the planet. And I'll tell you um, that, and the innovator's dilemma is like a book that she used as a reference to that. And the innovator's dilemma for all musicians and all businesses everyone is if you're trying to make your current fans yeah happy you're gonna fail yeah you have to think about the future and mtv and vh1 they did that they didn't make us musicians happy they saw oh okay reality tv oh all people like this okay right and then they just slowly started going towards all of that it was all those prank shows it was you know, the silent library, um, jackass, mm -hmm. real world, all those dating well, shows. Why didn't they make another, like, like uh, I don't know, uh, not music television, but like video. I think, I think just because we got YouTube. I think just because we got YouTube around when all that died out. Yeah. You know, like when MTV was still around 2005, I'm, I'm guessing, like, you know. Yeah. I know they were for sure 2002. They were still around, maybe dying out, but um and YouTube is what? 2009. So Yeah, yeah time's changing. <laughs> yeah, everyone has their own YouTube channel now, you know. Yeah. It's not like music videos stopped either. <laughs> <They> do? <laughs> I'm just kidding. Yeah, and like shows used to be focused around it, right? That's why we had Beavis and Butthead. Mm -hmm. Beavis and Butthead was available because these guys were on MTV yeah. and in between skits, you would just get a, a prodigy video. Yeah. You know, I do. You know how many bands I found out about because yeah. of Beavis and Butthead? Butthead? Yeah. The first time I saw Henry Rollins liar was on Beavis and Butthead. And I was like, what is this? <laughs> what is this man? You know, um, Fire started by Prodigy. The very first time I heard that song was on Beavis and Butthead. Yeah, yeah I think whatever shirts they were wearing, I was like, oh, that's, that's a band. Uh, Metallica <laughs> and ACDC, right? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um, so <laughs> obviously, right, I'm a major child of the 90s. Um, I definitely had my Zeppelin stint. Um, I listened to my first like favorite kind of music was classical music. Um, but in the nineties, Metallica was ruling the world. My parents are young. So my parents had me when they were 20, 21 and 20. My dad yeah. was 21. My mom was 20. So they, you know, they weren't, old enough where they were jamming the zeppelin albums you know what i mean like my dad would listen to stuff like jeff beck and and zeppelin and Jimi hendrix but he was also cranking propane and metallica 
um, and Primus. Nice. Right? So my the my dad had Primus sailing the seas of cheese. Bro, when I heard the song "Is It Luck," I was like, "What is go? What <laughs> is this? What? What just happened to the bass?" It's pretty you know, crazy. Yeah, Primus is like Flea mm -hmm. on a speedball. Yeah, I got to talk to um, one of their techs at one point, and he said that he the whole tour that they had been on, it, it's like the last of their tour, um, he not once had heard uh, Devin fuck up. Not once. Because if, <laughs> when they do, you don't know. No. <laughs> because back to what we just said every note mm -hmm. and every rhythmic interval mm -hmm. is right yes, if, you, always, if you play it that way i always say that um what differentiates a good musician and a bad musician is the ability to recover quickly so i i say that <laughs> same but similar i tell my students i say the difference between an amateur musician and a pro musician is that when an amateur musician messes up, you know about it. And when a pro musician messes up, you think he did it on purpose. Yeah. He, she, you know, they <laughs> did it on purpose. Um, so yeah, so like, um, he was big into these bands and these bands influenced me a lot. And I'm also from New Jersey. So I had like this hardcore thrash metal scene going on. I was lucky enough to have um a heavy metal radio station so like right now and my entire life i've been able to go out to my car and put on 89.5 seton halls pirate radio and i can go and listen to blast beats and death metal right now from my car radio and that's a crazy crazy thought because i've been everywhere in the united states and canada and like you don't get that you know yeah, yeah yes it's a college station but it's a world-renowned college station, you know? Um, so I had this in my back pocket. And so because of that, um, I had, you know, Les Claypool as my, one of my major influences, Cliff Burton from Metallica. Like, I have, you know, just my feels about Metallica. Everyone's like, why isn't Metallica Metallica anymore? It's because, like, duh. If listen to all those, those first albums real closely, mm -hmm. it's the bass. Mm -hmm. It's the bass. Um, Rex Brown, so mm -hmm. Cliff Burton, Rex Brown, Les Claypool, um, who else? Peter Steele, mm -hmm. Typo Negative. I'm a huge Typo Negative fan. Dick Lovegren from uh, Meshuggah. And oh, yeah. Like, I love Meshuggah so much. And again, to get back on to where, where bass makes you feel the song. Yeah. And you, when you listen to Meshuggah albums, one of the things that makes their this this is my my thought process on it from my my friends and myself mm -hmm. discussing it, so much of their heaviness because for years Meshuggah they used Line Six pods, you know rack pods, mm -hmm. and they still sounded heavy as hell, and those things sound mm -hmm. like piss, <laughs> and it's yeah, because even with them playing the eight strings they would be like the guitars would be in such a thin high frequency so much of that heaviness that you're getting right. from Meshuggah you think it's coming from the eight string yeah. 
but it's but it's bass. not that eight string has like no low end on it otherwise it's gonna sound like mud shit right it's the bass yeah. that's like creeped up in there perfectly to make you think that the yeah. guitar sounds like that but it doesn't yeah it's the bass making the guitar sound like that right yeah. um and then the god of all gods mm -hmm. lemmy of course yes right if you were to take most of those bass tones that i just you know of those players that i just mentioned and i'm gonna i'm gonna give him the credit to jason newstead yeah. um if if you look at all those bass tones of those players that i just labeled that's mm -hmm. basically my bass tone <laughs> Good. you know i don't use a chorus like peter Steele does um like not all the time like when i mess around whatever but i have one one setting on my fractal that has all yeah. that stuff on it but like it's all just this same you know low yeah. frequency not scooped mids but like cut frequency well, tell me, how do you how do you normally set up your your amps how do you normally dial in like um, this, most important and so i talk about this with tommy okay um in our thing but the most and you so saw i'll expand upon that a little bit here because i don't know how much we'll put in there you know yeah, yeah. and just so anyone knows so this interview with tommy victor um we have stylized questions here um for this episode that i asked him but if you follow me on my patreon dean music official you can get the extended interview there um the full unedited interview all hour long of us talking um but really for me it's so much about having two signal paths yeah um i have a low frequency that stays clean mm -hmm. and i have the high frequency that gets my distortion that's yeah. the same like if i'm using my amp this yeah. will be clean and low end i might have some distortion but this this Ampeg distortion is different than like throwing on like a distortion pedal, right? Mm -hmm. um, but so that'll be very clean and low end and pushing the cab. And then the axe effects will be very thin, high end, almost guitar sounding. Okay. And then the sound guy will mix them. On mm -hmm. my axe effects, I just have one channel that has a dual signal that comes together and goes to one output so i do it myself okay um but that's so that way i can take two amps everywhere in yeah. a 26 pound carry-on you know like take a million amps everywhere um yeah but yeah it's it's i like i like new string twang i like distortion and i like woof and i like no confliction at all yeah, which I think is great that we're both doing this because I'm the exact opposite. Opposite, right? You're exact you're super opposite. warm. I'm JPJ like mimicked. <laughs> right, That's and and when I have to play a song like so, when I play with Nita and I have to play bass on a song like uh, eighteen, right? Mm -hmm. Um, I would go down to my fingers to warm up my tone because i'm i'm typically a pick player i do hybrid picking with bass you know where i use these other ones but i'm usually holding the pick also yeah um but but when we play like aces high by iron maiden 
yeah i know everybody on on the planet's gonna hate me when i tell them yeah i i absolutely played that song with the pick live yeah um but if you the reason why i can like you can hate on me for moral reasons but if you want to come after me for tonal reasons if you listen to that guy's bass tone he's actually got a very thin bass tone there's a lot of high end on it so yeah, so you can it cuts through but yeah like yeah so like sound wise me playing with a pick to an iron maiden song is less worse than me playing with a pick to like a zeppelin song yeah, yeah. um but you still get that you know like again i'm a guitar player who transferred over so that's like cutting off my feet and trying to tell me to sprint <laughs> yeah you know? <laughs> you know like um yeah i do some of it but um and yeah so um it was really awesome to get to meet up with tommy um i hadn't seen him since last year you know with this quarantine and everything the very last tour that i was on uh what was it 2019 was crazy for me man i did i did um nita strauss tour i wound up meeting you in dallas right i met you in dallas yeah when i um, went to dallas <laughs> yeah and and then after that i did the static x tour which was like another six weeks on top of the nita strauss tour then yep. came home and i did a prong and danzig tour doing uh guitar teching and it was really cool to you know and that's another Thing that i i would like to let people know like if you ever feel like you're hindered let's say by playability or anything else but you still love music to just get a job working for someone you know every band needs another member who doesn't play an instrument every band yeah, um it's not going to be in this episode but it's going to be in a couple more um i got to meet up with my buddy hoogie from wb gear in the shinedown bass tech that guy doesn't even play. Yeah. And he's he's a bass tech for Shinedown. You know, yeah. my guitar tech um Drew from the Nita Strauss tours and Marco um who's uh Hatebreed's drum tech, but he does guitar and drum teching. Did you he, know these that guys are drummers? They're not the drum they're not usually guitar players or anything. They don't even, you know, like they don't The drum tech for System of a Down has a drum company and he doesn't even play drums. It's just Jim Jim Marshall is a drummer and makes guitar amps <laughs> yeah yeah like there's if you have a love just yeah. network you know I that's the that. and that's the moral of this story right like we both play bass in these bands that we tour with we didn't play a show together we just happen to be in the same city at the <laughs> same time and and had and had some beers with friends and next thing you know we have this podcast together right so it's like and we couldn't be more different in playing style right yeah and that, that it's just networking you know networking and sticking to your guns and working hard and whatever your style is you can exploit it and so back to tommy that's another thing that we got to touch on was you know how the riffage of a band such as prong a heavy hardcore new york band um some of their heaviness came from the fact that at one point that band was all bass players playing different instruments yeah you know and that's why i initially told you that i really wanted to make sure that we got tommy on here because i think that's the most interesting part of the story 
yeah. is that this band was all bass players, yeah. you know, playing different instruments. You know, one guy sang and played guitar, but he was a bass player. Another guy did play bass. I think there was two guitars at one point, even at that point. Um, and then, like, the drummer. Like, everybody was just a bass player. Mm-hmm. You know, and that's so cool. And Tommy was also the sound guy at CBGB's for a while. So he had, um, I got to ask him some questions about that. So without further ado, here is my interview with Tommy Victor. Remember, if you want to see the full unedited version of the interview, uh, follow me on, uh, on Patreon, become a patron at uh, patreon.com slash Dean Music Official. We can expand on these two questions a little bit, but um, the main focus is really just to ask a couple of questions about uh, you know, this is going to be a base specific pod, uh, podcast. So th- these questions cool. are, yeah, yeah, yeah. Because there's nothing out there like that. First off, you know what I mean? Yeah. Um, so, uh, it's really just from that point of view. Um, and usually, I mean, I've done a lot of bass playing, like on the, like I played on, uh, like all the Danzig records that have come out recently in the last, I played bass on those. Well, awesome. So that, yeah. that, oh, okay. I didn't know and that. Then, uh, and then the prong, like the last prong record, I play the bass on it. It's like, you know, because we do everything in the studio. I mean, Chris Collier, the producer did like a lot of bass, but um, like Jason only played on, on a couple of records and the other ones I did with Chris, you know, so I've been playing. Word, yeah. And so, yeah. And I really thought that that your approach as being from like a bass player, I really wanted to just figure out if it did it uh, like affect any of your guitar playing. And again, live, you know, things that people would want to know about live versus studio aspect of bass, because um, especially like when I think of you with Danzig, right. I always think about big venues and being there and yeah, you're playing guitar for that, but like you're there and experiencing what happens and also, and then, stuff like cbgb's this little shithole like how and uh the first episode was all about how bass evolved over the years and how we were able to get louder how we were able to get more precise how we were able to change tones and sculpt tones you know and uh and just that perspective of it you know because nobody nobody ever thinks about how to make things sound i was saying in in our first podcast i was like uh you know in the beginning i thought a metal zone sounded awesome (laughs) <laughs> yeah and it doesn't right like now i wouldn't touch one you know yeah, I, and- I never was much into boxes you know so you know it, the only when i play bass and i could recall i mean when i was in before you know before prong i played bass and i know what i used back then you know like uh so uh i mean you can start the question i don't know when you're starting here, yeah but- yeah yeah let's uh let's start it up right now you ready to go yeah let's do it all right Just reading the question. All right. All right, everybody. So here's Tommy Victor from Prong and Danzig here to answer some of our base questions. Um, first one here, man, is when I was on the road with you, you told me that like at one point all members of Prong were bass players and that you started playing bass first. And now you seem to play a lot of guitar. And we noticed that, at least I've noticed that most of the time it's guitar players switch to bass out of necessity. But you're a bass player who switched to guitar out of necessity. So I wanted to get into that and see if being a bass player first and then moving to guitar, if that influenced any of your riffage. 
And anything else you had to uh, expand upon on that? Oh, yeah. I mean, concentrating on single notes and playing along with a kick drum with a drummer, you're locked in as a rhythm section. I don't think a lot of guitar players experience it as much as a bass player does. And so when I switched to guitar, I mean, I was still in that framework of playing with the drummer, you know, and just listening to his kick drum and working off his patterns and, uh, and vice versa. Like it came from a more percussive mentality uh, and just strictly rhythm with the guitar, you know, like I wasn't concerned with solos. I couldn't, I didn't have a chance. I moved right from bass into playing guitar. I mean, I followed, fiddled it around with guitar here and there, but I, I never really learned that much. I mean, so uh, solos, I've been faking solos since <laughs> I started. I mean, it's just been like, you know, any bullshit I could come up with and make it sound like it's real. is Play it I as fast it. as you can and move, move yeah. around as quick as you can and yank yep. the any bar. Yeah, and it's worked, you know, which is crazy, you know, and, you know, uh, that's why a lot of times I, I, I always make fun of guys that use a Wawa pedal so much. I'm like, that's just, you know, that's copying up for your your inefficiencies or whatever, but that's not really that true. But uh, no, I mean, it's a, I mean, that's how I prong started was like having a bass player fix the guitar created that sound like this whole groove metal thing really came from. Right. From yeah. Idea. You're, you're the riff beast, right? Yeah, it's you're just the riff riffs. I mean, I wasn't concentrating. I mean, solos were an afterthought. In fact, when our first demo, there was no solos on it. And then we were like, well, we wanted to be crossover. We just didn't want to be a hardcore band. We wanted to cross into some metal. So after I figured out how to fake solos, we went in and overdubbed some guitar solos on it. So, uh, yeah, in fact, it was. We had three bass players one, like wanting to form this band. And it was like we were writing songs. And I was like, who's going to play guitar? And we were going to have two basses. This other guy was going to switch. He left. So then we, we went down to this power trio format. Mike, the, the original member that we formed the band with, bass player, he goes, I'll play bass, you play guitar. He goes, you look like you're playing pretty well. And it's like, uh, I was like, okay, fine. And the thing so when, is, when you what were was the first What was the first thing that you did? Did you like, did you already know like uh, a power chord shape? Yeah, yeah, I knew bass? power chords. That's about it, really. You know, I knew some power chords. Um, the pinch harmonic thing that, you know, I've been noted for, I don't know how that came about, about. I mean, it may be from something on the bass where I, you know, plucking the strings really hard. And the fact that you're for years, since I'm 11 years old, playing these heavier strings and then moving to lighter strings, I was like, well, this is easy. I mean, this, it had a, it, I was like playing guitar in my mind, it was easy at first because it was like I didn't have to struggle that much. So right, everything was smaller. Yeah. It, it, the right. strings were easier to push down. Yeah. So I mean, maybe that false harmonics and you know, I've always used heavier guitar strings than your average guy, but you know, like that came about I by accident. I mean, trying to emulate like some some ZZ Top or something, you know. Uh, but right. uh, if uh, if I'm not mistaken, aren't your guitar strings? It's like the uh, the highs are a set of 11s and like the, yeah. the lows are a set of like 10s or something? Uh, it's 56 to 11. So. 56. Oh, okay. Yeah. 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 So we're, yeah, yeah. It's a little, it's, it's, they're, they're beefy. They're definitely yeah. beefy. Yeah. Oh, that's right. Yeah. Uh, not on all tunings. We are not on all tunings. So, uh, but, uh, you know, anything detuned, I got to go that low. Otherwise, it's just too much wobble. But back to bass. So, 
you know, making that transition was, uh, it was a cool thing. I mean, um, you know, it was, it was a lot of fun at first. And now I, now I feel bad. Like I, I was, uh, because I'm so uneducated on guitar and, uh, like I just, just we were in the pandemic and I was like, you know, I better, I've been listening to a lot of classic rock. So I went online and this guy had figured out the hundred best, uh, what he thought best, uh, guitar riffs in rock of all time. And this guy's just going through from yes to rush to Zeppelin and just bashing out one after made a whole medley of a hundred. I'm like, I can't play any of these fucking songs because I never <laughs> learned. I never learned how to play guitar, really. <laughs> right. You know, like I learned on the road. I learned like, you know, just whatever watching. And I never really learned how to play cover songs. You know, it's like playing, playing guitar with Danzig and a lot of these songs I didn't have anything to do with the original recording is weird, too. But, uh, you know, it's just making my own music and writing my own stuff. Playing bass was like it was integral to the sound of prong and you know later yeah, it made, on it definitely made that band too. heavy i think yeah you know and then i was able to write some of the bass lines and go you know what dude like play this right and like guys are like you know um like you know like to like to snap your fingers snap your neck i mean that's like a bit that's like a bass song really yeah I mean, it is you yeah. know what i mean it's like that's that bass riff like that i wrote was really on the bass but i you know it's so a lot of it uh, was cool with that. That's, I mean, it's a key element to my career is like playing bass. And I still really enjoy playing bass. Like I played on the last couple of Danzig records and, you know, it's like, it's, uh, it's been a, it's been a fun ride, but now I feel like, you know, like I'm a really shitty guitar player. So <laughs> on the other hand, it's like, it's like, it's, uh, it's, it has its, its duality to the whole thing. And I almost feel like a shitty bass player because I, I don't I missed out years of even playing that much, you know? So Right, right. So you've got to stay on top of. With that whole travel of your career through bass, uh, like starting off on bass and switching to guitar, now you also started off in small clubs and then you play big venues now with Danzig and all these other bands and prong and stuff. So what's the what's like one of the biggest differences you notice from a live bass sound? It could be anything from strings to amps, um, or even just mobility or anything, but from live sound to studio sound, because you do a lot of studio stuff on bass nowadays too. So what's the biggest like thing that you look out for um, when in changing up a setup from going from live to recording and vice versa? Well, I mean, we did the cleansing record, the prong record with Terry Date, who worked on a Pantera and Soundgarden. And, uh, you know, I learned a lot about guitar sounds, et cetera, from him. And, um, he said to me, I remember, he goes, getting a bass sound is the hardest thing to do, he thought, you know, for doing a rock record. It's like, and I was like, really? He was like, yeah, because these guys roll in their SVTs and it just doesn't work on a record. It's not cutting. Yeah, I mean, uh, I don't agree with that entirely with his thing. But we use, we wound up using, like on Snappy Big, we used the guitar head. We used the same Marshall uh, 8100 on that to get that growl, that grind that's needed, that's almost inaudible on a, on a lot of stuff that the bass that I feel you need that, that it's, it can't just be all round under there. You know, what year was that? That was 94. 94. Yeah. So, 
I mean, a lot of now with with working on you know with virtual uh, instruments and amps and plugins, etc. I mean, we always have the growl track, like like with some distorted, even using like you know, like I, I my favorite guitar plugin is called this thing called Menace. It's like this throwaway app. I use it on my demos and you know, but uh, we use that like on the bass along with your like some SVT plugin or a live amp if you can who's in a studio to set that up anymore but it's like you know there's right. nothing you got to have that low end in the combination of it i mean live too is a different thing i mean you know you're you want to have that presence but uh it depends what kind of music you're playing but with you know with rock with head with metal the bass is, is a tucked role really it's, it's got to be it's it's a little bit underneath everything and it's you you know um right it's, it's like felt and not heard all the time felt and again. not heard all the time yeah i mean that's why you have a problem with guitar players that have switched to bass because they're clueless really like you know they're like all over the place and they're only concerned with with the amount of notes and that the, the top part of it and the clarity but like there's no balls to it so you know these guys are um you know, it's hard to find good bass players. I mean, it's like it really is because, you know, when it comes to live, uh, they just don't have a clue on that. It's like, you know, you know, you're talking about strings. I mean, like, you know, like Jason Christopher, I mean, he's changed his strings all the time. Like, you know, yep. he felt he needed that brightness and he needed that low end. And, you know, I think that's an important uh, aspect of it. You know, where I'm very at. much the same way, too, where I like to like live for bass. I do change my strings a lot on the Nita Strauss tour. I change my strings almost every night, especially because yeah. I sweat a lot and oh, yeah, yeah. strings that just is... die just instantly. Um, if you sweat even a little bit and I needed, I only ever needed to hear that shimmer. So that way I knew where I was, but the, I always focused on the low end. My tone is always low end. You know, like I, I run a dual tone. I'll have one yeah. uh, one channel that has high end with a little bit of distortion, and that's that's what I'm listening for. And then the low end, um, and that's at the sound guy's disposal. You know, bring yeah. that in how you need to fill up the room, as long as I can hear a little bit of click, so that way I know that I'm on time. You know, yeah, you need that high end. Well, of course, it depends if you're playing with fingers or you know. Yeah, I'm, I'm, most of the time I'm a pick guy. When we would do yeah. like uh, like uh, 18 and stuff by Alice Cooper. I right. would switch down to fingers for the verses to bring it down a little bit, you know, and then and I would just like hide my pick in my hand and then in the choruses kick back in with the pick and all that punch. Yeah, I mean, like I've recently got into like, a, a, it's not anything novel, everyone does it eventually. It's like, you know, revisiting a lot of the early Sabbath records, you know, with geezer with the with the fingers, you know, and and just like that whole approach is like a jack bruce style you know thing going on and that was like my many experiences like i mean going to the garden i mean i'm that old that i met, i've seen sabbath ozzy sabbath at the garden i had pretty good seats a bunch of time i just remember just geezer and like this just the bass you felt and how loud it was i mean at the garden and uh, you know tony you heard him too but um uh, you know i mean those guys had limit. You're talking about gear. I mean, I don't even know what they were using back then. It was just like just power amps and you know, right. just you know, marshals. They were plugging into 
you know, uh, guitar heads for bass, but it always sounded great. I thought, I don't even know what they were. So what was your favorite like setup for uh, a bass rig? What, what, what's like your, if you could pick out an ideal bass rig, what would it consist of? You know, I used to like, is the, like, I'm sort of all like an acoustic 370 head, like the the old ones. Yes. Those were really good. You know, as far as the cabinet goes, I mean, like SVTs are so great, you know, like I really don't, you know, I, but for me, I always like how, you know, well, you have a graphic on the SVT. I like the, the acoustics, those old acoustic heads, you know, and, uh, you know, maybe having like, it's like they, they used to have this, uh, these Serwin Vega cabinets that had like an 18 in it. Right. In fact, that you really didn't hear that much of. It was like just a low end thing. So maybe a combination of 12s and 18s or something, you know, where you get that, um, uh, you know, like that's something that would be cool. It depends on me. Like the the white whale of the SVTs is that two fifteen cab. That's the same size as the eight by tens. I've yes. always wanted one of them. I've always wanted to have an eight by ten and a two fifteen cab that were the same size, just for that beef. You yeah, never yeah, that, that would be cool. I know. You know, but I mean, I'm saying a lot of guys. You know, just like you know, they 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 don't know how to use it. They don't know how to get the sound going. Bass is the hardest thing to get, man. It's like a really hard sound to, to really do. It. You're working with limitations, which is cool. Like once you nail that, I mean, it's really great. It's like, you know, you talk about Tony Iommi too, like where you go back to guitar a little bit where he, uh, you know, he had his, his fingers chopped off, the tips of a couple of fingers. So then those limitations is sort of like my experience. I didn't really know that much. So like sometimes it's a benefit to have like those limitations in. Uh, so you're you know. saying that you going from bass to guitar is kind of like having your fingers, the tips of your fingers cut off. Yeah, I mean exactly. <laughs> you know, you didn't really. Right. You know, I I only knew four strings before that. Right, so right. Top two ones were like, well, what do I do with these? You know, I was like, I didn't really. Uh, whittly, 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 exactly. Whittly. Yeah. So. Awesome. Yeah. So what do you think about things like dark glass? Or all of these plugins nowadays, right? Like so, in the uh, the '90s and around the the turn of the century, um, VST plugins were pretty awesome for me because I couldn't afford all these amps, right? And nowadays, it feels like that just has taken off, right? And now yeah. you use a Kemper for guitar and stuff. Do you ever use it for bass? Yes, absolutely. I didn't really like it that much for, for bass that much. Like a uh, uh, Chris Collier worked on the last couple of prong records. Oh, we did on the Danzig records. We used the, the Kemper for bass because there's a couple of Ace. It comes with a couple of SVT profiles in there that are fine. Right. So, so then, you know, and you know, I did all the those last Danzig things just with the Kemper, and that's it. We didn't even we didn't bother with trying to do anything else. We didn't use any plugins, nothing. So Would, uh, have you have you had a chance to mess around with like? Uh, the dark glass amps or the dark glass pedals or anything? Uh, guys have had it, yeah. Like, you know, a couple of buddies of mine had them. Like, uh, uh, you got to know what you're doing with it, though. I mean, believe it or not. I mean, some guys, when you, when you, they have it on, and then if it's off, it's just like, it's, there's a different level or something like that. It's just, it, it, there's a, always with the boxes with bass, some kind of compression is added into it and it changes the level a lot. So, you know, getting those levels together between the different settings or what have you is always, I always see as a problem with guys, you know, just getting when, it down right. When I get, when I switch from bass to guitar, no matter what the setup, um, I always bring, I just have a Dynacomp 
an MXR Dynacomp, and an ISP Decimator. And I just, I don't care, guitar or bass, I bring those two together and I can play through any amp. Usually after that for guitar, I have a Tube Screamer and uh, like after the noise gate and then for bass, it's same deal, the comp gate. And then I'll, I have like an MXR, um, the bass pedal. It's kind of like the Sans amp. Yeah, that, that's perfect, man. Because that's what I always did before I got into Kemper. And Kemper has that great little noise gate knob in the front. You know, it's right. just like, which is like, that's a godsend for right. like thrash right. metal and stuff because you always want to, you don't want to hear anything between the, you know, when you stop, you know, so <clears throat> that thing's amazing. And you can put this. That's the way I feel like the decimator is. It's just a single I love it. I knob. I use that for years. It's just I'm a like, single well, I knob. Use, it's I know, so. I use that forever. The only problem with those things, you know, I love use those eternally. And before that, I had a hush. And um, yep, one of the old hushes, like hush. Dimebag, yeah, that Dimebag was a rack-mounted hush. Yep. The Not Super the hush C, two, the Super whatever. C plus plus. No, that one I didn't like. Oh. Um, maybe it was a Super C. It was this a regular white one? Oh, okay. And, uh, and it was just two knobs, two channels. It was sort of like a decimator. I think the guy that developed that is the guy that developed the decimator, and it was uh, just awesome. Yeah, and, dude, I, uh, I love the simplicity. You know, you yeah. don't need and then a they lot. Went to that red one, and they had another one that had more variables, and it never was the same. And then I, you know, the, I never liked the boss skate or anything like that. No, so I, I always get a. Yeah, this the, the threshold is weird. <laughs> yeah. You know, the, the, there's no attack on them, right? So the the release on it. So the uh, when the decimator came out, that was just a godsend. Just what always happened is they broke on me like where would somebody would step on that the the that AC one knob one, yeah whatever something oh, and that yeah i have like five of them laying there that just destroyed dude you know so one of my singers jumped on one one time yeah. drunk drunk at a show right and and i i've been fixing gear you know this man i fix gear i take out soldering irons to fix shit and i was so bummed i was like dude I was like, you don't understand. I'm like, it's not like I can just like have a quick disconnect cable and fix this. <laughs> yeah. I'm like, I have to get in there and solder everything. Well, lo and behold, dude, I took it apart. Everything on that decimator is a quick connect cable. So if you have one that has a broken nine volt and one that has a broken knob, you can literally just open it up, disconnect okay, and reconnect. I'll, I'll, yeah. And, right. and so you can take all, you don't even need a soldering iron. I couldn't believe that, dude. I'm just saying. Wow, all, no, I mean, all I, quick connect. I've not, I've never been one to open shit up. You know, I'm like, <laughs> you know, throw it out or whatever. Now it's just laying here, but you know the. Uh, but I mean, years ago, like the first bass stuff I used. I mean, we had. Um, I used the compression, like the old new wave bass. You know, like even like with Killing Joke, there was always a little bit of a chorus I used, and um, you know, comp always a compression on the bass, like a pedal. I, I think it was a Boss, the Boss compression. Right, so so you said chorus, and that instantly, and you're Mr. New Yorker. So, like, what did you think about hearing Peter Steele's bass tone come out of nowhere? Like that that the way that that dude played his bass for me was unlike any other bass player ever with the chorus. Oh yeah, I mean, land he, during he, the drive. I mean, like when I first saw Carnivore, um, they had a different approach. I mean, he was sort of like. You know, rhythm guitar, bass player. Right. And then, you know, the, the guitar player, when I saw him, was Mark Piavanetti, who was a kick-ass 
this, the, the guitars were just for solos, really. I mean, you really didn't even need anything. You know, it's just like Pete could have been there with, you know, with the drums and him. You know, he handled right. so much, you know, and they were so he was so loud. So, yeah, I mean, like he was um, I really don't know where, where where that comes from, but it's almost like um, a throwback to, you know, like Jack Bruce and, uh, you know, the power trio of cream where you know, the bass was just so loud and so part of the whole thing and like mountain too, like Felix Papillardi. And, you know, these, I know Pete, you know, that's where, you know, we come from the same era of those bands. So that's where it came from. I think. So who made, who made you want to pick up the bass? Uh, I think it was, it could have been geezer. It could have been Gene Simmons. I think it was probably kiss. Like, I mean, it was like, that right. was the, easy, the first, I mean, that was the easiest shit to learn. Like when I just wanted to get into a band, Right. So, I mean, yeah. there's tons of guitar players, you know, like even like when I was young, I mean, I was able to to, you know, like get in a band because, you know, no one wanted to really play bass back then, you know, so back in Queens. So um, I just play like what I did was uh, you know, I figured out. I think probably Strutter or one of those songs, I was able to figure it out. So, you know, Kiss and Sabbath and Deep Purple and. So, so Kiss and Sabbath and stuff, that was like your introduction to playing music on bass? Yeah. Awesome. Yeah, and, and yeah, all that stuff's loud and too. punching. Yeah. Simple. Deep some of it's really deep. simple. Some of the Sabbath yeah. stuff, some of that was really hard. There's a yeah, lot I don't movement. know. I, yeah, I couldn't really accomplish that much with the Sabbath stuff. I mean, uh, eventually I learned the finger technique. I was going to say, did you start off with a pick and then move to yes. fingers? Yeah. I guess you're seeing geezer like you know the whole thing of flight like well, this whole thing look cool yeah right yeah that was the whole thing right so you know um i think when i saw you know california jam with sabbath and i saw him i was like holy shit this is the coolest thing i ever saw in my life right right and so and like so do you think that that's that the the technology but like these vst plugins you think all this stuff has changed the way bass players play nowadays where you know, because now everyone's just doing everything digitally, right? Back in the day, my bass players used to want to rumble the room, and that's the way their bass playing, you know, evolved. Now it, it seems like since everything's all digital, bass just follows the guitar and the kick drum, and then that's it. And there's no, they're not like looking to add this heartbeat to the band that they, the old bass players used to. Well, I mean, it's the bass players, bass playing has changed so much with, with, with five string basses and, you know, six string basses and whatever, you know, you know, the down tuning thing is, you know, a lot of times like, you know, when corn came out, the guitars are tuned really low. The high thing was the bass was like the percussive aspect of, of things was wind up being slap bass. That was not bass. That was the high end. guitar. It's like playing a snare drum on strings. Yeah. Yeah. It was like, <laughs> it was a total reverse psychology. So bassists have been like, you know, um, having to cover all kinds of grounds really it depends what kind of music you're playing really yeah you know, i mean uh unfortunately uh you know, like like I, what i was one thing on a totally different note uh is that you know like i, I was just because this been free time and like i've been not really free time but i would really be able to look at spotify more and iHeartRadio. radio i like they have like these these like alternative rock charts and uh 
I have no idea who any of these artists are that are that are, <laughs> that, that are have billions of plays on Spotify, and uh, there's really no guitar or bass on any of it. It's like it's I don't know what what it is. It's like it's synth, synth, and synth in a drum machine. Yeah, pretty much. Maybe an like, acoustic, maybe an acoustic guitar. Like there you go, maybe acoustic guitar. Yeah, but yeah. they have as a novel. It, you know, like a a novelty item in there is like a little guitar thing or something, but it's uh it's bizarre. So I mean, uh, I don't I really don't know. I mean, if we, but I think we went through this in new wave where it's like, oh, the guitar is dead, and like, you know, like Kanye West came out and like he's he said that guitars is 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 a dead instrument and it's bullshit. So <laughs> we're still in that. These this decade of that, so it's, um, it's everything's tough. now MIDI controlled, man. Like yeah. it's, I think Guitar Hero did it to us. They made people realize that they could play guitar by tapping on plastic. You I know. know. <laughs> you yeah, know what's no, funny it's is true. like in all these years, and and it's I don't know if I ever said this to you, but like um, with things like Guitar Hero too, and getting kids interested in music, I played an instrument before that thing ever came out, and uh dude i knew how to play mother almost right away you know what i mean like mother was a huge song of course i'm, I'm a jersey boy i'm bit misfits when when mother was just uh breaking the charts of course i learned it when guitar hero came out i couldn't play it i couldn't i i literally failed playing mother it's it's on on that uh on that game it was the easiest song it was the easiest song yeah 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 but i couldn't i knew how to really play <laughs> so i couldn't do that you know um but yeah just i think technology has really changed the game for for us you know i feel like nowadays uh the only bass in music is like an 808 you know uh at versus yeah, what is all that yeah i mean like with you know with, with trap artists and i mean like like it's it just is. a tuned kick drum it's not even really that's, a bass anymore it's just a tuned kick drum that's what it is yeah um yeah the world the world's changed a little bit but like i do love some of these these new dark glass products how they have just turned bass into this instrument that's kind of cool again you know for i think for years bass was a pretty bland instrument right we um in our in our first episode we were talking about how bass went from an upright to then a precision instrument to now these instruments that are so well made that you can literally play five million miles an hour on these things, tap them, get get all these sounds. You could put synths and chaos pads and everything else you could imagine onto these things. Where, like Kanye West could be right, a guitar could be dead. But if you take these instruments, or like a guitar or a bass or any analog instrument, you could put these effects on it and make it hip and just use it as your form of a MIDI controller. You well, know? What about what about like animals as leaders? I mean, are those is he a bass player or is he a no, guitar? Not a bass player. In fact, Javier had this meme going around saying, "I'm not a bass player." There's just two dudes with eight strings and okay. a sick drummer. No bass, but they say no bass, right? But they run backing tracks, and in the backing track, there's synth that's yeah, I don't providing. Know what's going on in there? Because I saw them. I'm like, it sounded like the, it, like it was. I don't know what was going on. They're eight strings tuned down to an E, so it's an octave lower than a six. Okay. String. Yeah, it's pretty crazy. It's pretty crazy. On my eight strings, I have it tuned um, low E, 
and then drop A for the seven. So from my lowest note on the eighth string all the way up to the 24th fret on the high E, that's six octaves of E. Dude, uh, listen, I, I think an eight string is too much personally. Out of all these things, like I've played, um, I got a lot of gigs playing five and six string bass because I had those and everybody wanted that extra range and everything. And like when I first started, when I had my first six string bass, dude, I did not know how to play a six string bass. I just had it. I wouldn't know. I, I it's it's an extra low string like a five and an extra high string. But like I just had it because I got oh, it. Oh, it is okay. All right. Yeah, it, yeah, and so. But I did. I knew so little that that high string is supposed to be tuned to a C to fourths. I tuned it to fifths, like it was a guitar. Like I, I, I didn't know. I tuned it normal. Um, and yeah, I just like stabbed in the dark about it. I really only had it because when I started playing, everyone just started going lower and lower and lower in tuning, and I needed something with low notes. And I just also happened to have something with high notes, you know. Um, but I didn't, dude. I was making it up all along the way too, man. I was making it up all along the way. I, I had no idea. I, I went the opposite route of you. I was a guitar player who got a bass early on, but never really dove into it. And I did understand the mechanics of taking the power chord and just simplifying it, you know, down to the one note. And then learning over the years to not just punk rock my way through it, to actually groove with the kick drum. And I've always felt like so many people don't realize, some do, but not everyone, that especially when you're first starting off playing bass, that as a bass player, we are the glue between the guitar and the drums. We're not just like there to mimic one or mimic the other. It, you gotta be the glue. So sometimes you're following the kick drum, sometimes, sometimes yeah. you're following the guitar, sometimes both are all together, but sometimes you're somewhere in between. You know, my favorite thing to do um, on a bass that just always sounds good, is like a, a good well-placed bass slide just sliding all the way up that e yeah, string Gene simmons yeah sometimes like <laughs> just that one move dude you do that on on guitar it doesn't sound as good man but when you're a bass player you hit that low e and you're like boom, oh i know boom. it's great or the uh, other way around you know yeah, yeah. you just you, you can't beat it you can't beat it totally i totally agree Hey, well, listen, thank you so very much for taking the time out of your Thanks, schedule. Thank uh, you, I know that you're you're a new dad now, and I'm sure yeah. that that's got to be so much fun. Um, one of the things we talked about, I just want to tell you, is that um, and I had a little bit of an epiphany about this when I was talking with my co-host. But um, when we're kids, when we're babies and we're in a womb, that's all we hear is bass. <laughs> I don't hear any of that, the, the, those high ends. And there's been studies about it. And I wonder, like, you know, is that why some of us maybe have such an infatuation with lower frequencies is because maybe our parents listened to music, but all we ever heard when we, our ears were developing was the bass. Yeah. Right. We never heard the high end. So, um, yeah. So we just always, we, we talk about that and how it makes the hip shake and maybe it's that, uh, familiarity of those low frequencies that really just groove with us. But thank you so much for everything, Thanks, man. Sam. And uh, I can't wait Keep to see you. Hopefully we get the tour again, man. You know, yeah, I, was, absolutely. I was really excited. We were going to do some big stuff. I know. So. Yeah, we'll see. Probably. All right, man. Well, thank you Bye, so bro. much. Thanks, and I'm thankful that I got to catch up with Tommy and talk about these uh, different subject matters. And so one of the things that Holly and I wanted to expand upon is that Tommy was a bass player. 
and he started playing guitar. And one of the coolest things that we both took out of this interview is that, and I learned some of this on tour and got to expand on it a little bit more in this interview. Um, but he was just wings it, you know, like he knew bass and, and you can, do, you can do that. Like, I don't want to tell people that there's this unwritten, there's this unwritten rule where you can't play bass like a guitar player and you can't play guitar like a bass player. Like you can do those things. Um, it just, it's going to sound a certain way then, you know, it's, if you only do that. You know, sometimes we I play bass like a guitar player. Sometimes I want to do that. Sometimes I want to follow the lick that the guitar player is doing. Sometimes I don't, mm -hmm. you know? Um, and so, yeah. And so I've even asked him before, like, you know, like, oh man, like, well, what was that? What was that lick you do at the end of your solo? You know? And he's like, ah, oh, I, I don't know. It was just like some Kirk Hammett, like, you know, like lead thing. And like, I've since figured it out, but like, and I got what he said, but like, yeah, he just like, you know, he's a, a normal guitar player, you know, normal rock and roller, like no fancy schmancy education, just like rock and roll and tour and learning songs and getting, you know, general knowledge along the way. Not everybody is psychotic about melody and everything like I am, you know? Yeah. Yeah, there's so many different types of players out there. Well, for the long time, I, I was just winging it too, you know? Um, I, and, uh, and so, yeah, so he's a bass player who plays guitar. Mm -hmm. And now he plays guitar for Danzig, yeah. right? And one of the things you wanted to expand upon this about taking the job, right? Yeah, just take the job. I mean, that's how I got my first job as a bassist they asked if I wanted to be a bassist and I didn't say I didn't want to be a bassist. I said, I wanted to be in a band. And so I took that job and I was on my first stage in six weeks, but those six weeks were just, you know, hours and hours and hours of just learning those 10 songs. Um, you know, I'm a guitar player who, and this is really cool for my story. Like for like my musical story <laughs> is like, I'm a guitar player who basically learned everything that I've learned off of a power chord, <laughs> right? And that's everything I know about music theory, everything I know about how to play bass, how to play this song, that song, six string, seven string, eight. I learned from a power chord and then I like moved my fingers. And so like my reference is always either a power chord or a D major. The D major chord was the very first thing I ever learned. Okay. And like, to be able to to be able to just start from such a very basic beginning like i was lost right and then i filled in the gaps along the way you learn a song you fill in the gaps you learn a song you fill in the gaps and that's what we do right but when i went from guitar to bass the real reason for that transition for me was because i got hired i got hired to play bass for the independents and they're a horror ska band and there are bass runs all over that th that uh catalog mm -hmm. i had never played bass like that before i was prepping to do a six-week tour 
playing lead guitar for Black Cat Attack. And when they couldn't get in, I had to learn all those bass parts. Yeah. And at first I started with the root notes. I started with what I knew, right? I started with the basics. But I, being addicted to knowledge and trying to yeah. figure this thing out, I listened real close. And every single night, we play, mm -hmm. our set was one hour long. And my warm-up was to play the entire set and then mm -hmm. get dressed and play the entire set. Like, that was my night, you yeah. know? Um, and I did that I, a lot with Like, it was just it was all day long. It's learning the set, and then you play the set until you get it down. Yeah, and I did that every single night and learning those bass licks. And that was a cool transition for me because where I really thought that those songs, they were hard. Mm -hmm. They're a lot easier than I thought they were. You know, you find out when you learn certain bass players' styles, like yeah. you can learn a couple songs from a bass player. Yeah. And as long as it's not too complex and they're not like so like overeducated, you can kind of figure out their style. Um, when I had to play bass for Michael Graves, you know, like, again, I'm a guitar player who just took the gig yeah. and got three tours out of it. Yeah. Along that journey, there's stuff that Jerry only does on the bass that really are like bass player perfection yeah. moments. Yeah. Bass porn. Yeah. And like, and he doesn't just run and slide on his knees. Like he also plays some really awesome licks in Misfits. He doesn't just run and slide. Yeah, he doesn't just do that, man. Like he, he does some great harmonic and melodic stuff um, and great rhythmic stuff too. Um, and with that, you know, like taking the gig expanded my knowledge. Absolutely. You know, um, so much of this, this musical journey is jumping in the fire. Jumping in the fire, not being afraid. Yeah. If I was afraid because I didn't, I'd never touched a bass before. If I was afraid to say I wanted to be in a band, I wouldn't be a bass player now. Because I literally had touched a bass twice in my life before I decided I would pay, play, try to play bass in this band. And so it's just, it's a matter of just going, this is what I want to do and just do it. Right. I always knew that I wanted to write my own songs. So I bought my first, uh, my dad bought me my, my first bass, which is like this three quarter Sammy bass. Yeah. Um, but when I, I like bought my first Ibanez bass for like a hundred bucks off this kid, because I knew that I was going to, you know, I had like a four track and I didn't all the way, way back then. I knew that the, one of the most important parts about guitar is the bass. Mm-hmm. One of the most important parts about the drums is the bass. The marriage of them. Yeah. yeah and, and the, that, yeah, a guitar, a bass and drums. There is a reason why a band can get away with just that. Yeah. You know, yes. The greatest, the greatest songs can be played just with the singer playing an acoustic. But if you put a bass player with them, really it becomes so much better. <laughs> you know, it becomes so much better. <laughs> yeah, it just, you get the right bass line that just complements it. You're just like, right there, dude. Um. Yeah. So, yeah, so just jump in the fire, right? And 
uh yeah and so one of the other things i asked tommy was you know being a bass player did that influence um how he wrote his guitar riffs right yeah. and he brings up mm-hmm. snap your finger snap your neck you know and i'd like to just say like guys that that song's all bass it's that's a great example if you listen to that of you know a guitar player playing a song written for a bass yeah um and that is where our you know to circle back around to where we started this technology has allowed us to bring this these lower frequencies forward to drive us right yeah. and that's that's why we're here with this channel mm-hmm. yeah we want to show people that bass is not just an instrument that's in a band that you don't you know you don't hear you don't feel you you actually experience so much of it and if you uh just open you know open yourself up to it you you can experience a lot more with the music bass is really it's really all cool. it's all necessary it's all necessary you know um and i think a bass is way more relevant than an eight string guitar like i'd rather hear a six string even me i play extended range stuff it's like it's my jam but you give me a good acoustic and a solid bass line yeah forget about it like you literally you can't beat that you can't three chords and the truth man (laughs) yeah three chords and the right you know like one three five walk at the right time yeah Yeah. that's it it's it it's it's literally over it moves you beyond belief and i've always been into prog yeah i've always like you know one of my favorite bass players from the beginning was les claypool that dude is the definition of prog yeah you know he's not he's not dream theater prog mm-hmm. um but that's that's where bands like pink floyd come into account too like roger waters and the way that he would approach the bass and with the people that you brought up and the people that i brought up one of the coolest things about these bass players is they didn't always try to sound like a bass. Yeah. Right? Now you, on the other hand, <laughs> right? Like we talked about before, a lot of what you do when you play, you're playing to sound like to a bass. Like and so am I most of the time, right? Yeah. But I love that these artists that were influenced by where you throw some reverb on there. You know, yeah. like you do some like killer bass solos and dude, you throw reverb and some delay on your bass. Yeah, yeah, it'd be kind of cool. It sounds like a whole different alien spaceship to yeah. gravitate back towards that subject matter. Well, recently I've been writing uh, instrumental stuff, so I'm going to be working with some new pedals and stuff. I'm going to branch out a little bit more. <laughs> yeah, because it's... All of these instruments, guitar, bass, piano, drums, vocals, whatever your musical taste is, saxophone, anything can be put through, like you can capture any of those sounds and you can manipulate any of these sounds and you can turn them into any frequency response that you would like. Yeah. Now you could play a guitar and make it sound like a chicken if you want. Yeah, um, yeah. It, it, yeah, it really doesn't matter. You know, like the, with all these- I have a um, lot every time you hear every time you hit a note it says yeah 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 
Yeah. <laughs> That's awesome. Um, yeah, like, so you can manipulate anything. And so as bass players, especially nowadays, you can grab. I had this great project I did back in the day called Droga. D-R-O-G-E. And uh, it was just guitar and bass acapella. And we so we have that now, right? We can, as a bass player, I could just play my bass and I could put it through a plug-in. Mm -hmm. I can make it sound like a guitar. Right. Yeah. Exactly. So like if you only know how to play bass, right? And you're not and you don't know all the that other stuff, you can still make a whole album. Yeah, you can definitely do that. I've seen people uh make songs just with a bass in a computer. I I'm gonna need to fact check this. I don't know if it was Virgil Donati or not, but there was someone of his caliber of drumming that did this crazy prog drum album but programmed all of the guitars and bass oh wow i don't so he did know all the drums and then he just programmed them wow yeah he played all the drums and then wrote all the other music to it oh. yeah crazy right and like he doesn't play guitar. You, can do that now. you can do that now you can do everything now yeah yourself. and and we can do that as like you know um, back to Sean Yassault, man. One of the, I'm pretty sure that uh, I heard from the Grapevine that the band that played the Lone Ranger song "Degenerated," which was originally a Reagan Youth song, right? Um, the band is White Zombie, with oh, okay. Brendan Fraser singing. Oh wow, that's cool. Yeah, right. Yes. Right, and dude, listen to that song now, thinking that, and you'll be like cool yeah they'll be like yeah it is like yeah. yeah that's them like when white white zombie would hit that groove right um they would they would really nail it but that song that reagan youth song you guys can listen to reagan youth degenerated and you're like oh okay it's a cool song and then listen to the lone rangers degenerated <laughs> the lone Rangers. and and dude it starts off with drums yeah and then the bass comes in right. and I'll tell you, then it kicks into a guitar solo. And the only reason why that guitar solo hits you and makes you ready to party uh -huh. is because of how that bass is bringing that guitar solo in, right? It's yes. the perfect setup. Yeah. You know, it's like a volleyball movement, you know, pop set spike and yeah. it's drums, bass, solo. Yeah. Like, <laughs> and awesome. it's a rolling bass line. And like Shawnee Salt is freaking amazing with some of her. Like when what I thought that bass line was mm -hmm. and what it is, two different things. Yeah. Two completely different things. She uses these walking traveling notes that don't belong in the scale. Yeah. They're but just, they're cool. They're there. And if you don't play them, it sounds wrong. Okay, cool. <laughs> yeah. She puts these chromatic notes in that in that bass line, and it's just so good, dude. It's so good. Cool. Have to go back and listen. Yeah, I, I'm <laughs> I'm hardcore. I'm hardcore into that for sure. You know, I got I love me some Lone Rangers. <laughs> awesome. Well, cool. Um, yeah. So yeah, everyone, I started a new Patreon page. Please um, follow me on there for the extended version of this interview with Tommy Victor from Danzig and Prong. 
um the full unedited version uh patreon.com slash dean music official same thing with instagram facebook also we now have a new instagram for bass cafe with holly and dean two guesses ready instagram.com slash bass cafe with holly and dean no way facebook.com slash bass cafe with holly and dean no Um, way yeah so you guys can follow us on there also we will be putting these podcasts on anchor i did set it up so look for us on there um so that way if you can't always catch us like this you can just download the podcast and listen and and holly what are your links for all of our viewers uh, my website is hollywestmusic.com and everything is under the handle at hollywestmusic on Instagram and uh, Facebook. And then I have a Patreon as well. It's hollywestmusic and I teach on there. So if you're looking for bass lessons, uh, both Dean and I teach. Um, do you teach on your Patreon, Dean? So that's what I'm doing is so okay. because teaching and music is such um, an intense thing. What I, my whole purpose for the Patreon is to give like little bite size yeah. exercises and tidbits. Yeah. yeah. So we both have our, you know, we, we both kind of have different styles. So uh, I'm sure teaching is a little different too. So uh, it, it's always good to have a good music teacher. music is such a vast subject matter that you can take a lesson from everybody on the planet from now until the end of time and you still won't learn it all yeah, you know exactly. that's one of the glorious anisses of it um i watch rick beato on youtube all the time yeah, he's awesome and he it, just the other day he said um he's like i'm 56 years old and he goes i'm still making breakthroughs and i i some people would be scared by that i love that i love that knowing that the chase can be so in depth and still gratifying yeah absolutely yeah and you know we're just getting started here but i can't wait till we get our like 100th show you know and we're talking about some really cool stuff and I mean, everything we've talked about so far has been really enlightening and really fun. So yeah, absolutely. And I really wanted to just like you, you know, we we really want this to be informative and let every all of you know that we were there. We were there. And so was everyone else. Mm -hmm. And there's just little tidbits to pick up along the way. Yeah. Yeah. And even we're there now. I mean, we can learn from each other. We can learn from I mean, I, I, yeah. I'm just getting ready for these videos. I learned so much. So yeah, we, we had to learn a lot off of each other. Just <laughs> to episode number two over here, you know, that's like, <laughs> and, and I don't know everything. You don't know everything. And that's the best part of it. And that was the best part so far about the way we've been able to compile our information. And I would like to tease our future episodes about this. <laughs> Holly and I are very different players. But when we compiled our scripts of our subject matter, that was a major part of it for me is when one person had something, another person gave the other side and the opposite and maybe a different perspective on it. And that's where I think it's going to be so much fun going forward in our shows is the difference of opinion, you know, and and, uh, or the different approach, you know, or different roads. Yeah, yeah, and we're we're learning a lot from our guests too. So we'll yeah, have some really right. interesting ones coming up soon as well. Um, right. So, 
So definitely thank you, Tommy, for for being on the show today. And yeah, special thank you to Tommy. Uh, he just became a dad this year. Oh, that's and, right. <laughs> yeah, he's got Tommy Victor Jr. out in the world. And uh, so it's really good to see um, at least some some musicians being able to pull this one off. That's a really nice back, you know, back end deal to quarantine is being able to um, build a family, which I know many musicians have been able to do in this time. Yeah. Yeah. So, well, well, thank you so very much, everybody. I hope you had a blast and everything was entertaining for you. Be yeah. sure to like, share, and subscribe, please. We will be posting these on our Facebook pages. Share them on your Facebook page. Tell your friends about it. Yes, a lot of this is music nerd stuff, but we also got some inside stuff about our own journeys just as humans in general and being um, hardworking entrepreneurs that have to constantly figure out a way to move forward. And we get a lot of those traits from being the musicians that we are. Yes. So everybody, thank you very much. Yeah, thanks guys. Thanks for tuning in today. See you on episode three. Yeah.